we're going to see how this goes tonight, I guess. So as Michael said, my name is Caitlin Offwan, and I am this year's one and only ace teamer. Uh, that is very misleading name. You have to know that I am the only one on the team. It's me and Jesus time, basically. And so I've learned to kind of have a sense of humor about it. And I remember the first week of ACE teams, uh, I was in Natalie's office because in between lectures, I would always just go and sit with her. And I remember one day, Clay walks by and he's just like, oh, hey, like, how's ACE teams going? You know, just genuinely being nice about it. And I just, I was like, yeah, it's going good, like, whatever. And he said, what do you do when you're supposed to have team time? And my snarky self, without even thinking of it, I just spit out, I cry myself to sleep. And so if that doesn't tell you anything about my humor, I don't know what will. Um, but basically, I've been on this program called ACE Teams, and I've been traveling the past few months. In January, I had the opportunity to go to Washington, Illinois, and uh, serve at Connect Church. In February, I went all the way to England and served in Bolton. And then, <laughs> yeah, the ACE Teamers are jealous from last year. And then uh, I came back to the States in March and served at a church called Heritage in Chicago. And then between coming here, I actually got to go home to Arizona for a week. And so I was here for Abandon, and I was here for Easter. Give it up for both of those, y'all. <laughs> but as I said, I'm from Arizona, and I lived there. Um, I moved there when I was six years old, and I lived there until I was 18. And so what you have to know about me is on top of raising me and my three siblings, my mom and dad raised 10 other girls as well. And so when someone asks me, how big is your family? I'm like, how does 16 sound to you? And so, I mean, we live together. We literally live in this giant house. There's a cactus up front. We have two patches of fake grass. We drive around together in this giant 15 passenger that we call the Twinkie. And it's just fun. Like, we do life. We eat together, do devotions, whatever. And so, with 16 people in a house, especially girls, you have to know that there will be some conflict, especially with little ones. And so... The girls in my house range from ages 4 to 18, and I remember I was home during the summer right before ACE Team started, and these two little girls got into a little altercation. Uh, it was Anisha's birthday, my little sister Anisha, and she was turning 7 years old, and you know, little kids love when it's their birthday because they get all the attention, they get to eat as much sugar as they want, and they get all the gifts, right? And so... Anisha woke up that morning just with this attitude like, oh, it's my birthday. I can do whatever I want, y'all. And so that's basically how it went. She was bragging about it all morning. And not even before 8 a.m., there was this little girl, Joe, who was also in my house. And she didn't like the fact that it was Anisha's birthday because she was being very boastful. And so Joe literally gets so worked up that she screams to Anisha, I hate you and I hate that it's your birthday. And honestly, Anisha's seven years old. I don't know what was more devastating to her. Like, oh my gosh, you hate my birthday. It's like not even the fact that she hates her. And so basically, Joe ended up getting early bed. And my mom and dad, they have hectic schedules. And sometimes they'll ask me to go pray with them before bed anyway. And so I go in there. And usually I will pray. But tonight I was like, okay, well... Joe, you've probably had time to think about this, and you probably want to either pray for Anisha or something, so I'm going to let you take it away. And I'm expecting something really sentimental, but instead this is the monologue I get. Dear Jesus, I thank you for this day. I hope that everyone had a good day. I hope tomorrow everyone has a good day. And I pray for every single girl in the house, except for Anisha. Amen. 
And so, you know, if I wasn't laughing, like I was literally crying laughing after that. I'm not a good influence. And I basically just kind of like walked out and I'm like, mom, you might want to take care of that later. But at the core of the problem, basically what we have is that Joe didn't have what Anisha had. It wasn't her birthday. And so we could even say it just wasn't her time for that. How many of you have ever wanted something someone else had? Raise your hand. If you haven't raised your hand, you're lying. And anyway, so I'm going to look at a story in the Bible, and it kind of has to do with this. Uh, we're going to follow the story of a woman named Hannah, and I think this story, to me, is the perfect story of a power of prayer. You see, prayer is something we're exposed to these days, but I feel like we either underestimate it or downplay its power. A lot of times we actually overcomplicate it, honestly. And there's so many different types of prayer, and we can get into the specifics, but instead I'm just going to give you some general aspects and even just go into like shooting down some of the misconceptions we have. So prayer, the way I define it, it's simply how you communicate with God. And you know, even simpler than that, it's just you talking to God. In a deeper sense, you can say it's you calling upon the name of the Lord to come over and take over your situation, or maybe even just be present. I feel like it's something we often forget to do these days. You know, something bad happens, and I even have the tendency to pray about it, and then I wait, and I wait, and I wait some more. I get impatient, and I start to have doubts, and then I become bitter because I feel like he's not there and he's not doing anything. You know, I want to take a look at Hannah because she seems to do the complete opposite. If we break down scripture, we can kind of get a better feel for what exactly is going on here. So I'm going to be looking at 1 Samuel, and I'm kind of going to just, I'm not about to read 20 verses to y'all, so I'm going to just like give you background on what's going on. Basically, there's this dude, Elkanah, and he has two wives. Times have changed. So he has one wife that I'm going to call Penny. Her name is Penina, but Penina is like a complete mouthful. So it's uh, Penny, and she has children. And on the other hand, we have Hannah, who does not. And on top of that, it tells us she's barren, and she just simply can't have children. So back then, culturally, if you could not bear your husband's children, you were a cultural disappointment. You were a sign of shame upon the family because you could not continue the legacy. So Hannah has two problems, though. One, she's barren. Again, she's a cultural disappointment. But two, Penny over here just keeps mocking her about it, calling herself her rival, just reminding her of all this shame that she brings upon her family. And what I love about Hannah is that despite all of that, she does not let that hinder her faith. Because Hannah knows that in this time when she is breaking and when she is broke, like, just keep, oh, whoa, <laughs> when she is broken and letting this darkness come and fill her life, that there is a God at the end of the tunnel, and he's going to shed light under her situation. So I want to ask you something that I want you to think about. When it comes to trusting the Lord with your desires, does it hinder your faith or bring you closer? So as we take a closer look at Hannah and her prayer, I want to go through just a few different points with you to emphasize what authentic prayer can be. And jumping right into it, point number one, Hannah prayed her pain out. You can even say Hannah prayed past her bitterness. And so the story, let me set the scene, they're going to the house of the Lord to offer a sacrifice. And back then, this is before Jesus came down to be the ultimate sacrifice. 
they would offer an animal as a sacrifice for temporary forgiveness. And so this is where we're introduced to Hannah, and we are painted a picture of a broken woman. Like, her view of grace and love that is right in front of her has completely shattered. She's bullied by a rival. She's a culture disappointment. And she's continuously provoked day after day. And it's no wonder she's bitter. And it's no wonder that she's broken down. In 1 Samuel 1.8, she's weeping to her husband. And he says, Oh, Hannah, why are you crying? Why aren't you eating? And why are you so upset? Am I not of more worth to you than ten sons? Okay. Honestly, the first time I read this, I literally thought this guy was an idiot. Like, I legit sat there. I'm like, how can you ask such a cocky question? Like, am I worth more to you than ten sons? But as I read a bit closer, I always paused when it came to a point where it says, he always gave her an especially generous helping of the sacrifice because he loved her so much. And then I got to thinking what Elkanah is really saying here. Why are you concerning yourself with everything else around you? Don't you know that despite everything, I still care for you? I still love you, and I am right here with you. You know, on one side, we got Penny, who mocks her, and on the other side, we have Elkanah that takes a stand against culture, takes a stand against the circumstances, and what he should be the one that's disappointed. He says, I love you. He always gave her an especially generous helping of the sacrifice because he loved her so much. And to me, that symbolizes the consistent, unconditional love of a God that doesn't care about our circumstances. And he is always there to remind us that he has not and will not stop loving us. And the funniest part is Hannah doesn't even really respond to that. She's just like, okay, I'm going to pull myself together and I'm going to go into that sanctuary and pray. And this is the point where I think things begin to kind of take a turn. In 1 Samuel 1.10, it says, Crushed in soul, Hannah prayed to God and cried and cried and cried inconsolably. And what I want you to take notice of there, it's while she's crushed in soul, she begins to pray. And that's when we see she begins to pray past her bitterness and begins praying from her heart. You know... I feel like prayer has become kind of like this really awkward, dreaded thing for us. I know that there have been times when I've like, when I was younger and even like a couple weeks ago, people are like, oh, Caitlin, you should pray. You're the ace teamer. And I'm like, no, I don't really want to. And then through clenched teeth, I'm like, okay, fine, I will. And each time I literally just go to the go-to prayers like, God, thank you for this day. Thank you for my family. Rub-a-dub-dub. Thanks for the grub. Amen. Some of you felt that one. (laughs) You know, and I think it's good to be thankful as long as it's coming from a genuine place. But past that, when you pray from your heart, that is what is honest. He wants to hear everything, the good, the bad, the hideous. And, you know, in Hebrews, it literally tells us to draw near to God with a sincere heart because there is nothing going on in your life that he does not want to hear. I think... Praying in the midst of our sorrow is something we struggle to do. Some of us complain. Some of us rant to others. I have Natalie on speed dial to start ranting, honestly. Some of us like to shove things down and just forget about it. But we can't deny that darkness takes over our lives sometimes. The sad reality is, like, we all deal with depression 
and jealousy and self-hatred and a bunch of other things that I can't even list off right now because it's so much. And we all have different ways of coping with it, but it's not exactly the right way sometimes. For those of you that complain, haven't you found that it doesn't really help your situation? 1 Thessalonians 5.17 says, pray without ceasing. And a lot of you might be in here like, nah, like that's not even possible. I'm not going to do that. And I'm like, but y'all, I hear you complaining 24-7. Like I complain 24-7. Yesterday I was complaining that I'm going to be so nervous up here. I'm literally going to turn around, just throw up. (laughs) Don't say that. (laughs) But, you know, like some of us, Don't do that. Others, uh, some of us will like shove it down like I said. And you pretend like nothing is happening and it just bundles up on the inside and becomes this giant ball of inner conflict that is going to one day explode. You know, we retreat from this battle because we don't want to admit that there's something wrong. And I think it's time that we try a different strategy and literally just get down on our knees and start praying because that's what's going to ultimately lead us to our victory. We literally this past Sunday just celebrated that the battle has already been won. So what's the problem? Point number two, Hannah did not seek attention from others. So as Hannah pours her heart out, she doesn't hold back. And she herself in 1 Samuel 1.11 said, Oh God, if you'll take a good hard look at my pain, if you'll quit neglecting me and go into action for me by giving me a son, I'll give him completely unreservedly to you. I'll set him apart for a life of holy discipline. Now, if any of you have ever poured your heart out, it's like this really big emotional thing. Like, it could be quite dramatic. Like, I ugly cry and there's mascara running down my face type of deal. And so, as Hannah's praying... She's legit so into pouring her heart out that the priest Eli literally thinks she's drunk. So in 1 Samuel 1, 12 through 16, it says, It so happened that as she continued in prayer before God, Eli was watching her closely. Hannah was praying in her heart silently. Her lips moved, but no sound was heard. Eli jumped to the conclusion that she was drunk. He approached her and said, You're drunk. How long do you plan to keep this up? Sober up, woman. Hannah said, oh no, sir, please. I'm a woman who is deeply troubled. I haven't been drinking, not a drop of wine or beer. The only thing I've been pouring out is my heart, pouring it out to God. Don't for a minute think I'm a bad woman. It's because I'm so desperately unhappy and in such pain that I've stayed here so long. And here's the thing. I think the biggest misconception is that our prayers always have to come from a place of thankfulness and joy. Sometimes in life, we get into those times when we're literally just so fed up with the situation and we're just trying to get out of it that we literally need to just cry out to God and literally just scream out, I am angry. I am tired. I am done. I am upset and this situation sucks. Because it's better to voice how upset you are with God than to disregard him altogether. I feel like we've made this image in our head of what perfect prayer looks like. You know, we're like, oh, well, my words have to flow really nicely. There has to be a spotlight on me. I have to have cool hand gestures and there has to be piano music playing in the background. No offense, Nigel. (laughs) Let me tell you, though, 
Your prayer is just as powerful as someone else's. As long as the words that spill from your lips are genuine, authentic, and completely and utterly what you are feeling, nothing is more perfect than that. Hannah looks like she's drunk when she prays. You know, so be it. It doesn't matter because that's between her and God. The way you pray is between you and God. You know, that's you talking to your heavenly father and just asking for comfort, for intervention. You shouldn't care what other people think because when you're that desperate enough, all that matters is him. Prayers are personal and, you know, you can literally pray anywhere. Some of you pray in your heads. Some of you pray out loud. For me, every morning on my way to the Dream Center, I say my prayer for the day. But I do it out loud because speaking your prayers into existence, just saying them out loud, can make your situation feel ten times better as you hear yourself speaking life into your situation. When I was in England, I found out very quickly that they really like to speak their prayers out. Like every Sunday before service, we would all gather around in the room, and basically we would all just lift up our voices together, like all saying different things that we want for the day, or just thanking God for the day that's ahead. But it was all at the same time. And you know, at first I was a little shy about it. I'm like, I'm not gonna do this. I'm just gonna mutter over here and pretend like I'm saying something really powerful. And, you know, most of it was because they had a really cool accent and anything they said was really cool. (laughs) But as time went on, I kind of gained more confidence. And I realized that when we lift our voices up together in prayer, it creates a deeper sense of unity. And we are declaring over the service that, God, you are welcome here. So when you say your prayers out loud, you are literally declaring over your situation, God is going to come and help And this is the part where we get real and the part that I've mostly been nervous about. In my own life, I can tell you, I felt so much pressure. I felt the pressure to please others. And I'm the type of person that hates to see anyone else sad. And so I will go out of my way, no matter the cost, and basically make them feel better. There have been times that I do whatever it takes just to make someone not feel guilty. I will give something up just for that. People have always told me I'm too forgiving. And even if I get hurt, that's not their fault for some reason. I don't put that on them because I feel like they don't know what they're doing, guys. I just can't seem to be mad and I can't find it in me. I feel like There are times where I'd be like, wow, I'd I'd take a bullet for you. And then on the other side, I start to think, well, would they take a bullet for me? Would anyone take a bullet for me, honestly? And then in the darker times, like the really, really bad days, in my head, I can just hear myself questioning, am I even loved? Am I wanted? Am I even cared for around here? But most prominently, at the back of my mind, I always have this question of, am I enough? Am I enough as I am? And as sad as it is, I'm not. Not without God. And with God on my side, though, I find that I am more than enough. 
this revelation goes through my head sometimes when I'm praying or when I'm worshiping, and I get really emotional, and I start to cry, or I, like, lift up a shout of praise, and, you know, I can't dance. You all saw me at Abandon, but that's how you know the Holy Spirit is working through me. So when I feel the Holy Spirit's comforting presence, don't look at me like I'm crazy. Like, I'm not trying to make it look like I have it all together. To me, an act of worship and prayer, you're putting your hands up and you're saying, no, I really don't have it all together. And that's why I'm surrendering it to you, God. And that leads me to my last point. Hannah's prayer request had the purpose to bring glory to God. If we look at 1 Samuel 1.11 again, it says, Hannah's entire, well, it's Hannah's entire prayer class is laid out for us. And so it says, then she made a vow. Oh God, if you'll take a good, hard look at my pain, if you'll quit neglecting me and go into action for me by giving me a son, I'll give him completely, unreservedly to you. I'll set him apart for a life of holy discipline. I know I read that before, but reading at that time, We see that Hannah's request was not for her own gain, was not for her own happiness, but at the end of the day, she just wanted to glorify God by giving her son's life to be a vessel towards his work. You know, if you really think about it, Hannah's entire prayer request had God himself at the center of it. And ultimately, her prayer request became her greatest surrender. After Hannah's conversation with Eli and her explaining herself to him, scripture tells us something that I think is pretty darn cool, y'all. 1 Samuel 1, 18 through 20 says, Think well of me and pray for me, she said, and went her way. Then she ate heartily, her face radiant. Up before dawn, they worshipped God and returned home to Ramah. Elkanah lay with his wife Hannah, and God began making the necessary arrangements in response to what she had asked. Before the year was out, Hannah had conceived and given birth to a son. She named him Samuel, explaining, I asked God for him. You know, Samuel's name literally means heard by God. And so his name is forever a testament of how God heard Hannah's prayer and even brought it to a whole new level. Because I don't know if y'all know who Samuel is, but he was the prophet that anointed Saul But he was also the one that anointed King David, the boy that would become King David at least. And in King David's line, as Natalie told us, is where Jesus came. And you know, I find that this is all from a woman who prayed her pain out and fixed her focus on God and prayed with a bigger purpose in mind. You just have to let God intervene. And God will intervene if you just let him. And some of you may be thinking, Caitlin, you don't know what I'm going through. You don't even know me. I don't even know who you are. How can you be so sure that he's going to intervene in my life? Well, he saved me from myself, y'all. A common misconception is that just because I grew up in a Christian home, I didn't deal with inner demons. I literally struggled with misery and pain and self-rejection to the point that became self-hate. And I have the scars to prove it. I've been bullied. I've compared myself to others. And I have put unrealistic standards on myself. And I'm not saying I can relate to your exact situation. But I'm here to tell you you're not alone in it. Just look around you. 
We all carry baggage, and we all come here seeking something more whole. But what I find is, like, you can ask around here that's, like, we all feel the comforting Holy Spirit sometime in life, and our stories don't end in darkness. I can tell you, I am no longer held by pain because I know that there is healing in Jesus' name. There is peace and there is freedom, and all it started with was me crying out to God and saying, God, I need you more than ever in my life. We hold on to see his promises play out because he is constantly showing us that there is more to life. And all it takes is for you to literally just cry out and just say, I cannot do this alone. Please intervene. Please show me you. Please be my comforting spirit. There is more. And to close, I'm actually going to tell you how I got onto this little thing called Ace Teens. But it starts back in 2016 when I was just a senior in high school. And I remember I had no idea what I wanted to do. Like, on the inside I did, but to my parents, sorry guys, I knew. Like, I had a good idea, but I just didn't want it to be shot down. Not that they ever made me feel that way, but just because I was scared. And so I applied to this place called Grand Canyon University in Arizona. And I also applied to a little place called Bradley University here in Peoria. And at GCU, I wanted to study worship arts. But here at Bradley is where my heart really was, and I wanted to study writing. And you know, I remember just being really confused about it all. I'm like, okay, everyone is telling me to go here, but God, where do you want me? And so I remember just sitting there thinking, okay, I do not want anything if God's not in it. And so I prayed, and I'm like, look, if you are going to make a way for this to happen, please do so, because I need to see that I'm not crazy and that my heart is not being led here for no purpose. I got accepted into both. But when the financial reports came back, for whatever odd reason, I did not get as high as a scholarship in GCU, even though it was in-state, than I did at Bradley. My Bradley scholarship literally like made GCU look really pathetic, honestly. And so I remember keeping that in the back of my mind. I'm like, all right, how am I supposed to bring this up to my parents? I said, God, I still don't feel the comfort I need to just go out and make this decision. And so I do not think by any coincidence that it was a couple weeks later, a really good friend of mine came up to my cousin, Stephen, and me and said, my family is moving back to Peoria, Illinois. And, you know, I was really sad about that. Just hearing it made me want to cry. But then I realized, I'm like, wait, is this the peace that will ultimately, ultimately let my mom and dad feel comforted to let me go all the way across the United States. So I talked to them, and then Homegirl moved here in August 2017. Yeah, cool. Well, that's not where it stops, y'all. So, you know, Bradley was amazing. I moved here, loved it. I, you know, I loved the classes. I'm a big nerd. I loved my professors. Life was great. But in the middle of second semester, I started like going on this descent and I felt like, you know, 
Where am I? What am I doing? Why don't I feel as happy as I thought I would? I feel really empty, honestly. And I remember one night, almost a year ago actually, I just sat down on my Bradley floor and I literally just cried and I said, what did I do? Like honestly, what the heck made me feel like moving to Illinois was a good idea? I remember saying, there's gotta be more than this. And I remember being really angry and being like, you know, I'm so confused, I just need clarity and I need you to guide me towards whatever the heck I'm, like, I'm supposed to do. I love writing but I didn't feel like there was life in that anymore. And so the next day, I actually ended up meeting a friend at 30.30. And we were talking, but she ended up leaving early. And then I was journaling. I do that to vent sometimes. And 15 minutes later, my mom and dad call me. And I don't even remember what it was about, but I just felt really guilty afterwards. And earlier that day, I got into a huge fight with a friend And I just felt like in that moment, everything was against me. And I remember just, I didn't want to go underground that night. I literally walked out that 30-30 door and I was like, nope, going back to Bradley, I'm walking back. I don't care if anyone's mad at me for doing that. Did that a lot, got yelled at a lot. And I remember as I'm about to turn the corner, my friend Ashley Seeley, all the way from Elmwood tells me, hey, I'm here, are we gonna go inside? And I'm like, okay, I'm not about to make her go sit down inside by herself. I'm not going to make her drive all the way back home to Elmwood, 30 minutes away. And so I went inside, and I didn't suffer through it. I genuinely love underground. I love Michael and Rachel. They've always spoken life into me. And I remember sitting there, and that was the night we were doing one of our Rewind series things. And I remember the person started talking about ACE teams. And, you know, I was really good friends with the ACE teamers last year. Shout out to them right now. <laughs> and, you know, I just remember sitting there, like, in, for whatever reason, in my mind, it crossed, it's like, oh, wow, like, what if I just did ACE teams to kind of help figure things out? Why does it feel right right now? And in the same moment, I literally pushed that aside. I'm like, nope, not doing that. <laughs> and so... Service ends, Ashley and I go back to her car, and I remember she said something to me about it. And again, I just shut that down. I was like, not doing it. And so I go on Instagram. I really should have just emailed Jess the picture, honestly. But the first thing I see is from a posted picture of a guy named Chad Beach from LA. And it's a picture of his son just walking down the street alongside this brick wall, and his shirt says, I will change the world. But for whatever reason, the first thing I noticed was these three bold letters on that wall that said one word, ACE. And I was like, okay, it's getting real creepy now. (laughs) It's like, God, if you were trying to say something to me, I really need to just like, you need to scream it in my ear, honestly. And so I remember Ashley and I kind of talked about it. I called another friend to talk about it a little bit, but I was like, you know, I need someone that knows me well. And so I called a friend, and I remember the first thing they asked me after I explained the whole situation, what would your parents think? And I remember thinking on the inside, I'm like, well, I called you. I obviously don't want to (laughs) die. 
And I responded, I think they would understand, but I think the fact that I'm in college and I would have to drop out when I only have one year left after this, I think that's what would really get them. And so they told me to pray about it and they told me before they hung up, they're like, you know, I think God is trying to talk to you. You just need to listen. And I remember sitting on my floor at Bradley that night again and just praying out. I'm like, okay, sorry for last night. I was a little angry. And I said, you know, this entire time I've been complaining to you about every little thing. I'm praying and I'm right here waiting for you to give me answers, but you know, I haven't even really thought to listen. And so as I sat there, I just prayed over my life and said, God, will you please guide me? And just let me know that this is exactly where you want me to be. That moving here to Illinois to begin with was not a waste of my time. And so, went to bed, woke up, felt like I needed to just push the whole thing aside and move on with life. And you know, the next few days, just overwhelmingly, God gave me signs that ACE Teams was the direction to go. I remember first one, okay, just, just look at me. Do I look like I need an Ace hardware subscription, y'all? Because that appeared in my email the next day, just Ace, that was the subject matter, that was the first thing I saw. And then on top of that, a couple days later, I got a phone call from a girl I grew up with. Back when she was like 13, I think, she lived in my house and we grew up as sisters. She lives in Michigan now. But she just called me out of the blue after years of not hearing from her. And she's like, hey, Kate, I feel like you're at a two-way stop. Is something going on? She doesn't have any connection to anyone I had talked to about it to begin with. Like, I hadn't even told my parents about it at this point. And so after my talk with her, I remember just feeling like, okay, she just said some really weird things. But I feel like in my heart, I know that ACE Teams is a direction to go. So what's stopping me? What is stopping me from going towards the call that God has on my life in this season? And so I called my parents. As expected, they asked a lot of questions. Like, why are you, you were so sure Bradley was where it is? And I said, you know, Sometimes God goes out of his way to get our attention and to bring us somewhere else. Because I don't think it was coincidence that I moved all the way from Arizona to Illinois, where I learned more about ACE teams through the friends I made and was just able to witness all the things that they did last year. And, you know, maybe Bradley was just a way of getting me there. Obviously, it did not go the way I thought. It's called Ace Teams. It's just me. <laughs> they don't let me forget that. But I think that was a part of what God wanted too. Because he knew my struggles and he knew exactly what I needed in this season of my life. Honestly, if I had a team, I would probably be hiding behind them right now. Probably would have been like, oh, so-and-so should preach instead. Like, that's not my thing. I was a writer. I can't public speak. But God is pushing me out of my comfort zone more than ever. And I think that's pretty darn cool, honestly. 
So we just have to see our situation, no matter how dark it looks, no matter how confusing it is, and just realize that there is more than anything we could ever imagine. (laughs) Honestly, those are the three words I want you to take away from tonight if you heard anything. There is more. All right. Thank you, piano guy. We're going to pray with the dramaticness, all right? So dear God, I just thank you so much for this opportunity and everything you have used me for so far in ACE teams. I thank you for Illinois and the happiness and the spiritual growth that it's brought me. I thank you so much for everything that you have done so so far and everything you're going to do. God, I just pray for everyone tonight. That no matter where they at, they no matter where they are at, you meet them where they are, and that they just feel your comforting spirit in their situation, and that you just intervene, help them know they're not alone. Help them know that no matter what they are going through, you are going to bring them through it and show them that there is more to life. I pray for the rest of their week that you just speak life into their situation, that you just show them that you are there and you are near and dear. I pray for the rest of my year on ACE teams that wherever I end up, you just give me a clear direction of where I'm going to end up and next. In Jesus' name, amen.